How are y'all doing? Good. I'm glad you're here. We're going to give our ushers time to finish taking up the offering. And then um, once they get that done, if you did not get a little handout and you want one, not some people don't. They don't want them. Fine with me. But when you see it with your eyes, you write it, you'll remember it. And maybe a month from now, you'll think, what was that scripture? I kind of remember that. What was that thing that we were talking about on families? Because Satan's going to come. The Bible talks about how he comes immediately to steal the word of God. So you have your Bible and you have your notes and you can fight him with the word of God. Amen. So if you need one of these, our ushers will come down the aisles in a moment. I know y'all, we're jumping the gun. They're like, holy cow. So if the usher's not taking up offering, y'all just go ahead and come and y'all just keep your hand up, wave at them, be friendly with them and they'll bring you one. You know, Pastor Stormy's been talking about this series called, and we've called it Family Ties. And we've been talking about the importance of family. And the family was created by God. Notice, he didn't just leave Adam by himself, did he? Adam had all these animals and that was good, but he was still lonely. There was a missing part of him and God created the family. And guess what? Ever since he created it, there's someone out there that's been trying to steal away from the family. And that is Satan. And we're going to talk today about how do we keep our families strong. The title of the message today is called Ties of Love. And the term dysfunctional is often used when people are talking about families today. It, this word refers to the disintegration produced in a family where there's a lot of hurt. Any of y'all ever had any hurt in your families? Yes? Maybe today there's some hurt. That's dysfunction is that it, it's that disintegration. Instead of being all tied together, hurt comes and it tries to pull us apart. It can be the result of a lot of different things. Divorce, addictions, self-consumed parents, rivalry among children, sexual abuse, child abuse, spousal abuse extramarital affairs, pornography. I could just keep naming things. All of these things try to pull the family apart. What God has put together and all these things in the world are always trying to pull us apart and cause our families to be dysfunctional. One of the strange dynamics of family life is that when children grow up, guess what happens? If they're not taught the word of God, those same things that they hated in their parents, and they probably said, I'll never do that, they begin to repeat those same patterns of behavior and those cycles of dysfunction passed down from generation to generation to generation. And Pastor Stormy's taught us that about generational curses, and it talks about the sins of the fathers are visited on the second and third and fourth generations. But we don't have to have that, amen? Christ came and he can redeem our families. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So we have to look at life in the long term, not the short term. That's what gets us in trouble when we live for today only. Okay, today I'm going to do this because it feels good. No, we need to look at the long term. How does what I'm going to do today 
affect my future. And all of us, whether you have children or not, there are people that you are connected to that you are influencing. And we want to be a good influence and look at the long term and leave a legacy for those people that we're connected with. And we have to be faithful. No matter what your family situation is today, let me just tell you, if I refer to husbands and wives, I don't want anybody to get condemned because you're single, because you're divorced, because this is not what you have. It doesn't matter. Whatever your family looks like today, God wants to bless that. We need to leave our excuses in the background, okay? Well, my parents were divorced. Well, I was abused. And those things are reality. And you need to get healing from them. But at some point, we have to leave the excuses behind and say, this is my today. This is what I have right now, God. And I'm going to use this for you. So what we're going to talk about today is how do we tie our families together with love. So we're going to go to the first scripture, Colossians chapter 2. Now, I've made it easy for you, and I've put it up here, but you need to practice in your Bible too, okay? So don't get lazy. Some of you have your phones, I know, and you can just find it really quick, but we're going to turn Colossians chapter 2. If you need a Bible, our ushers can help you if you'll raise your hand up. If you don't have one and you want to look on, Colossians chapter 2. The Apostle Paul wrote this, verse 1. He says, I want you to know how much I have agonized for you in the church at Laodicea and for many other believers who have never met me personally. I want them to be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love. I want them to have complete confidence that they understand God's mysterious plan, which is Christ himself. So God wants us to be knit together with those strong ties of love. Let's see what Jesus said about love. Flip in your Bibles over to Mark. So go to your left. Let's go to the book of Mark, chapter 12. Mark chapter 12. Mark 12. You know, the whole Old Testament was filled with commandments. Do this, don't do this. If you don't do this, this is the result. And it's commandment after commandment after commandment. It was very hard to keep all those commandments. But when Christ came, all of that changed. And so one of the teachers in that day came to Jesus and he said, out of all of the commandments, all of them, what is the most important commandment of all. This is what Jesus said. Let's look at verse 29. The most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. So our number one thing in our life is to love God and number two, to love others. And it said as we love ourselves, We have to learn to love ourselves. God's love, we love ourselves, and it flows out of us to others. That's the most important thing. 
That should be our motivation in life. Even though the world throws all kinds of things at us. Live for yourself. Be selfish. Do what feels good to you. That's not what the Word of God says. And this is what we measure our lives by. is by the Word of God. So we're going to talk about some practical things that we can do to tie our families together with those strong ties of love. Tie number one. Respect and honor each other. Those two words are interchangeable. Where you see the word respect... You could also substitute the word honor. They mean the same thing. Pastor Stormy has been teaching on this for, what, about eight weeks. How to have honor and respect. Husbands to wives, wives to husbands, children to parents, parents to children, employers to employees, friends. Every relationship in life is built on respect and honoring each other. Let's look at Romans chapter 12. Book of Romans, chapter 12. Romans, chapter 12. And let's read verse 10. It says, Love each other with genuine affection and take delight. In honoring each other. I love that word delight. We get to do it. We get to honor each other. I mean how many of us. We would change our relationships. If we would delight in honoring each other. When our husband walks in the door wives. We delight in honoring them. When our wives come. Husbands you delight in honoring them. Doing what pleases them. Children, what would your parents do if you took delight in honoring them? Even when we don't agree with everything they do. See, sometimes we're like, well, I don't like what they're doing. They don't deserve it, so I'm not giving it. Do you know it's a gift that we give to someone else? As a wife, it's a gift that I can give my husband. I can give him respect. I can give him honor. As an employee, guess what? It's your choice. You can be like everyone else and badmouth the boss behind their back, talk bad about them, or we can give honor, give respect to them, no matter what they do. See, we, we got it wrong. We think that we base that off of what they do. No, no, it's all based off us. You leave it in God's hands. He'll bring the result. If you'll honor him, if you'll respect, you'll do what you're supposed to do, he will honor us. I love that. Take delight in honoring each other. When we delight in honoring another person, it boosts their feeling of value. They feel valuable. Wow. They make me feel good about myself. And when we make people feel valued, guess what? They want to be around you. They're attracted to you. They're not pulling away. They'll want to be strongly tied to you. Because of the value you place on them. Tie number two. The second tie of love is keep commitments. Why is keeping our commitments and honoring our promises so important? Because we all tend to construct our hopes around promises. We construct our hopes around promises. See, when a man promises to love a woman... 
know, when you see a wedding and they promise, I'm going to love you, I'm going to cherish you till death do us part, they make those promises. That woman's security comes from the hope that, okay, he's promised to do this. That husband has the hope that my wife is going to be faithful to me. No matter if we live, you know, in, I know Matt, they don't even live in the same state. <laughs> Him and his wife, because she's military. And our wonderful government has put her in Alabama, Mississippi, somewhere far like that. And he has a new, newborn baby, but it doesn't matter. When we've made those commitments, we have hope that people are going to keep those commitments. That's where our hope is. And it's so important to keep our commitments. Look at, let's look at Ecclesiastes Chapter 5, way back in the Old Testament, it's going to be right after Psalms and Proverbs, the book of Ecclesiastes. God took serious vows and promises. And I think some of us may need to revisit the vows and the promises that we've made to people, whether it's our spouse, whether it's to our employer that we're going to be loyal and faithful and honor them. God takes it very serious. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 4 and 5, says, When you make a promise to God, don't delay in following through. For God takes no pleasure in fools. Keep all the promises you make to him. It is better to say nothing than to make a promise and not keep it. So God takes vows very seriously, promises that we make. In the same way, we should take serious what we make to our families. The promises, the vows, the commitments. When we say, I'm going to do this for you, I'm going to be here at this time, I'm going to do this, we need to follow through. So that they have, they have that hope and they're like, yes. And they don't have to worry about it, about if you're going to keep it or not. See, when we keep our commitments, you know what it builds? Trust. It builds trust. Trust is the firm foundation upon which a family is built. And guess what? There will be no healthy relationships without trust. So many times we've counseled couples, and when trust is broken, it's very difficult to get back. It can. You can do it. But you have to start at ground zero and begin to build that trust back up. And it can be done with the help of the Lord. But when trust is broken, it damages the whole relationship. So trust is the firm foundation upon which a family is built. Keep your commitments. Let's look at tie number three. Value each other by listening and understanding, two really good words, by listening and understanding. See, we should be dealing with our families like God deals with us. How does God deal with us? With grace. He doesn't condemn us. I love that scripture that, that says, God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world. He's not out there condemning, shaking his finger, saying, you're a bad person. I can't believe you did that again. No. God deals with us with grace. He deals with us with patience. That's a good one for most of us with our families. He deals with us with forgiveness. Okay, when we make mistakes, 
he is there. That doesn't mean he doesn't correct us. Because what does a good father do? He corrects his children. So it doesn't mean that there's never any correction. But we deal with each other with love, with grace, okay? Listening and understanding each other. There's a story about a father. Oh, let me skip. I skipped that one. What does it mean to understand another person? This is on your paper. It means to make what is important to the other person as important to you as the other person is to you. How do you make what is important to the other person? Or how do you make them gain understanding? Make what is important to the other person as important to you as the other person is to you. Here's a story. There was a father, and he wasn't much of a sports fan. I can relate with that. I'm in the ultimate sports family. Okay, they bleed red. We won't say the team because they lost last night. But, and my husband was there at the game. Um, but they love sports. But this dad was not much of a sports fan. But he had a son who loved sports. And his son actually began to get interested in hockey. So what the father did is he took his son to all the hockey games that he could. And in the middle of that, guess what happened? They're going to hockey games, going to hockey games. They start bonding together. It brings them together. One of the dad's friends came to him and said, I didn't know you liked hockey that much. And he said, no, I don't, but I like my son that much. And that's what we have to do is we have to sow into our families. It may not always be our thing. You know what I was doing last night as I'm working on my message at home? I have the game on because my husband was texting me and telling me about the craziness there at the game. And so I would know. Sometimes I'm like, okay, I need to know what kind of atmosphere am I going to come home to if there's, you know, he's watching the game. But I make what's important to him important to me. Your children may be very different from you. Any of y'all have any kids that are a different personality than you? That like things different? You know what? We need to accommodate that. We need to be, yes, that may not be my thing, but I'm going to celebrate you in it. I'm going to be glad for you. Make it important to that other person. It's going to help us to understand them. And then a really good scripture, James 1, 19, should memorize this one. My husband referred to it last week. We were uh, talking about a situation. And he said, I'm just going to take the James 1, 19 stance. Let's see what that says. James 1.19. James is a book uh, close to the end of your Bible. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to what? Listen, slow to speak, and slow to... Wow, let's say that again. Quick to listen. Y'all can talk back to me, okay? It's all right. Slow to and slow to get angry. But yet most of us, we have them backwards. We get angry first. Then we pop off with our mouth. Our mouth just goes out there. Any of y'all have that disease? Your mouth gets in front of your brain sometimes or most of the time. And then we start listening and we're like, oh, 
I didn't realize that because we didn't follow James 1.19. Slow to speak or quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. If we would do those things, our relationships would highly, highly improve. So the fourth tie, after valuing each other, listening and understanding, the fourth tie of love is encourage one another. This is one of the easiest ways to grow a relationship, is to be an encourager. This, and we're all called to encourage. Let's look at 1 Thessalonians 5.11. So if you're in James, Thessalonians usually tries to hide from me. It is going to be before Hebrews, so go to your left. After Ephesians and Philippians, Colossians, then you're going to find 1 Thessalonians. Chapter 5, verse 11 says, So encourage each other and build each other up just as you are already doing. The message translation of the Bible says, So speak encouraging words to one another. We should be encouraging our families we should be telling them that we love them. We believe in them. I'm always amazed sometimes when I, I just love to encourage people and I'll tell people, I believe in you. Sometimes they look like, you do? Someone believes in me? I, I saw that. I was flipping through trying to find the football game last night and that movie Matilda was on. Have you all ever seen that? About that little girl and her family. Nobody believed in her. Nobody did, and she found this teacher who she believed in her and believed how special she was. She believed in the dreams that this little girl had. That's what we should do for our families is encourage them. I believe in the gifts in you. I believe God has a plan for you. We need to be the cheerleaders in our families' lives. Amen? There's plenty of people out there trying to pull us down, trying to say, you can't do that. You're not, let's just say, you're not young enough, you're not thin enough, you're not wealthy enough, you're not, you're not, you're not, you're not. Always people are going to be telling me, you're not these things. The world is out there doing that to each one of us. So in our families, we should be the cheerleader saying, yes, you can do it. I believe in you. You can do it. Whatever your family looks like. Sometimes there's times when it may not be our biological family, but we're surrounded by a family that is encouraging us and loving us and is supporting us. That's what we need to be for each other, is the cheerleaders for each other. So how can we encourage one another in our homes? First, by our words, actions, and our attitudes. That A word, attitude. Any of y'all ever get a bad attitude? You can say one thing out of your mouth, but your attitude may not support that. But we can encourage each other by saying words, having actions, and having good attitudes to encourage. And the second thing, by pointing out the positive. Pointing out the positive. Any of y'all ever tend to negativity? Raise your hand. I know. Anybody ever out there? You ever walk in a room and, boy, you can see the negative. I have a curse sometimes that 
I have to, I, I like go into an event and I can see everything that's wrong. In fact, my daughter told me there was a typo on my uh, sheet and I'm like, oh, drives me crazy. Typos. My brother-in-law, he'll take a picture of a, of a sign that's misspelled and send it to me and then I'll take one like our new newspaper. hope nobody works there, but like if there's a typo, I'll send it to him because we contend toward looking at, looking at the negative, pointing out, oh, that's wrong. This is wrong in your life. You did this wrong. Especially wives, we think we're helping our husbands. And sometimes they're just like, I can't do anything wrong. I can't fold the washcloths right. I can't change the baby's diaper right. I can't do their hair right. When that's not our intentions. But we're not pointing out the positive. There's a time for correction. Yes, you need to help people. And as parents, we're called to help our kids and correct and coach them. But I always like that sandwich theory. You ever heard that? When you need to correct someone? You give them praise. You're doing such a good job on this. You stick that correction in. Let's work on these things. And then you back it up with praise. You sandwich it in there. So that when they leave, they know. They love me. They're for me. They care about me. That's what we need to do. Encourage one another. Our fifth tie. We're almost done here. Fifth tie of love is ask for and offer forgiveness. A lot easier said than done. Ask for and offer forgiveness. Anybody ever have any family disappoint them? Hurt them? Not be there for you? We've all experienced that. Um, They asked this one couple, they'd been married for 54 years, which is a pretty good accomplishment in our day and time. They said, what were the secrets to your long and happy marriage? And they said, you overlook a lot of little things and you forgive each other. Because if you don't forgive, you are probably not going to stay married very long. You're probably not going to have a good relationship with anybody that you're around if you're not a forgiver. Let's go to Colossians chapter 3. If you were in 1 Thessalonians, just go one book over to your left to Colossians chapter 3, verse 13. This is one of those other good life verses. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Make allowance for their faults. None of us are perfect. If we go around correcting everybody else, pointing out theirs, acting like we're perfect, guess what? Pride comes before a fall. And pretty soon those little faults of ours are going to show themselves. And when you haven't offered mercy to people, there's not going to be a lot of mercy given to you. We're to make allowance for each other's faults. Okay, that doesn't mean that you don't set healthy boundaries in your life. Okay, I'm a firm believer in that. But we make allowance for each other. And we forgive as God forgave us. There's another scripture that says, if you don't forgive others, guess what? God can't forgive you. He takes it pretty serious that we are to forgive each other. So do we have a choice to forgive? 
This is a test. Do we have a choice to forgive? Well, we can. We can choose to or not to, but what does God say? If we want to be forgiven, do we have a choice? No. We've got to forgive others, okay? There's a, a Spanish story of a father and a son. And as in most families, they got at odds with each other. I'm sure the son got to that age, you know, there's that age where you get that know-it-all disease. Your parents don't know anything. They're stupid. So they got estranged. The son ran away. The father went off to find him. He searched for months to no avail. Finally, in a last desperate effort to find him, the father put an ad in a Madrid newspaper. The ad read, Dear Paco, meet me in front of this newspaper office at noon on Saturday. All is forgiven. I love you, your father. On Saturday, 800 Pacos showed up, all looking for forgiveness and love for their, from their fathers. All of them were looking for that. Oh, if it were that easy. What if you're the person that you're estranged from did that? Would you be willing to go and reconcile with them? See, families today are filled with people who desperately long for reconciliation. They're filled with people because none of us are perfect and I will tell you, there's just going to be times when you're going to have to just make a choice to leave the things that happened in the past. Sometimes some personalities, they have to know we have to talk and we have to work every single detail out and they have to apologize before we can move on from here. Well, that's just not possible with every person in your life. I, you do need to work things out as a couple, there are times you need to talk, but some of us are carrying around weights and baggage from the past. We can never get to the future God has for us because all we're doing is back here, holding on to it. They have not said they're sorry. They haven't changed, so I'm not moving from here. And God is telling us to forgive as he's forgiven us. Sometimes we just have to let it go so we can reach forward to the future that God has out in front of us. And we can't get to it if all we're doing is looking back here. So God wants to offer us forgiveness. The good news is that we can receive that same forgiveness that that son received through Christ Jesus. And that's our last tie of love we're going to talk about. Tie number six. Make Christ the cornerstone. And I looked up the word cornerstone. I knew it had, it was with a building, and I've seen cornerstones, but I looked it up to actually know what it meant. And it said the chief foundation on which something is constructed or developed. It's that foundation. And I looked it up. There's quite a few scriptures in the Bible, in the New Testament, that talk about that Christ is the cornerstone. One of them is Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Verses 20 and 21. Ephesians 2, verses 20 and 21. 
And this is talking about how we are the temple of the Lord now. Verse 20, it says, Together we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. See, Christ doesn't live just in this building. Now, I believe his presence is here with us, but do you know why it is? It's because he's in us. Christ lives in us now. In the Old Testament, yes, he had to be in a temple because Jesus hadn't come. It's a long story. Read your Bible if you don't know all about it. But the New Testament, Christ came and we can receive him as our Lord and Savior. And he now lives in us. It's not some big building, although our building is good. Because we can meet together and we can celebrate corporately. And there's something that happens when we do that. But he's the cornerstone in the temple of God. That foundation. And you know, there's a cornerstone. A lot of times you'll go to a building like a courthouse or some historical building, and you can actually see on the cornerstone, and they've engraved in there the names, either the name of the house, the names of the people, and the date. And today I believe that God wants to be the cornerstone for our families. He wants to engrave himself into our homes. He wants today's date, October 28, 2012, to be the day that Our families took a stand and said, you be the cornerstone, God. We're going to let everything from the past go. Doesn't matter what's happened. And today, we're going to honor you. Amen. That's what he wants to do in our lives. So we are going to take communion together as a family.